Can't be easy being you. I told you. I don't mean the job. I meant, uh, you know, being inside your head. What's wrong with my head? I don't know. Of course not. That would be $385 an hour. They keep moving the goalposts on you, don't they? Get A's, good college, Latin honors, get into the London School of Economics, get a good teaching job, Ivy League school, tenure. Now you got to publish. Now you got to go to Stockholm. It's not good for a person to keep setting goals? Uh, it probably is, but it's tricky for somebody who's still trying to get his father to stop hitting him. Well, I'm told that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Yeah, but that's most men. That's not you. That's the other people, the ones who feel stress. You're destined for something else. I have abilities. And now you have an opportunity to use them. I think I have. That room I passed down the hall on the left, it's got a name, right? I think you're talking about the Lincoln bedroom. Right. Lincoln freed the slaves and won the Civil War. Thank you. Next. And what will you be singing for us today, Mr. Bartlett? Well, we've had six straight quarters of economic growth. That's not easy. Okay. It's not easy. I believe you. I think I've made tough choices. I think Lincoln did what he thought was right, even though it meant losing half the country. I think you don't do what you think is right if it means losing Michigan's electoral votes. You don't know anything. I'll be the first to admit that. I'm not trying to get my father to like me. Good. Because it's never, never going to happen. Look, we're done for the night. What? We've been here for two hours. It was a double session. We're done for the night. Stanley, I hate to put it this way, but I'm me and you're you. And we're done when I say we're done. No. I think you could use some assistance right now, sir. Use me, don't use me. But all I can offer you is this. I'll be the only person in the world, other than your family, who doesn't care that you're the president. Our time is up. Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Raines, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this month, we're in a message series called Taking Care of You. And today we're going to be talking about mental health and what does it have to do with being followers of Jesus and, and living uh, the Christian life. I wanted to start off with that clip from an episode of The West Wing where uh, President Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen, is having a conversation with a therapist named Stanley, played by Alan Arkin. And I wanted to start with that clip for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I think arguably the President of the United States is the most powerful person in the world. And when we start talking about mental health, when we start talking about seeing a counselor, there's still a lot of people who view that as a sign of weakness. And so I just wanted to start with an image of a really strong, really powerful person humbling themselves enough to seek some help, uh, to say there's somebody who might know some things that I don't necessarily know. 
Now, when I was in seminary, we had to take pastoral counseling classes. Uh, pastoral counseling, very different than going to see a, a therapist, a psychologist, someone who's trained professionally uh, as a counselor. But we would take these uh, pastoral counseling classes. We'd do these role-playing exercises. Well, so maybe at one class, I was assigned to be uh, the pastor, and one of the classmates, they would come in, and uh, they would have a pretend issue or problem that they were dealing with. We'd have this conversation, and the professor would critique us on, you know, are we listening well? What kind of response are we giving? That sort of thing. I remember I remember going home after one of those classes and saying to my wife, Wendy, I am going to make a terrible pastoral counselor because these people are telling me the issues and problems that they're dealing with. And I want to just say, why are you letting that bother you? Just get over it. Just move on. Oh, man. I was 26, 27. I like to think I've uh, matured a little bit over the years. But I think a lot of us still have a temptation maybe to slide into that kind of a mindset. When we are going through problems, when we are facing issues and challenges, we think the strong thing to do is just kind of power up and keep moving forward, and and we'll get to the other side of this on our own strength. President Bartlett is meeting with this counselor, uh, Stanley, and Stanley said to him at the beginning of the clip, it can't be easy being inside your head. What's wrong with my head, the president asked. That's the second reason I wanted to uh, start off with this clip. Last week, we looked at our physical health. We talked about our physical bodies. Today, we're talking about mental health. I think it would be a mistake for us to approach these two uh, topics, these two issues, in completely different kinds of ways. I'm convinced one of the reasons there's still this huge stigma around mental health is because we don't think about it and we don't approach it the same way that we do our, our physical health. For example, if you have a sore tooth, what do you do? You go to the dentist, and they figure out what's going on. If your vision is blurry, what do you do? Go to the eye doctor. They give you a new prescription so you can see clearly. If your knees hurt, and your hips hurt, and your uh, joints and muscles ache, what do you do? You go to a physical therapist, and they tell you, I'm sorry to say, but you turned 50 this week. (laughs) Your body's falling apart. Get used to it. It's just your life. No, that's not what happens. When something in our physical body hurts, isn't functioning the way it's supposed to, intended to function, we go and we talk to the experts. And they get to the source. They figure out what is the cause. And they develop a plan for us to follow to either manage the pain or maybe make the pain go away. Our brain is a part of our body. And when our brain's not working, when our brain hurts, when our brain's not doing what it's intended to do, What do we do? How do we respond? Maybe the first thing for us to do is confess. Confess that the way we've been thinking about mental health isn't working. This primary approach that most of us have, we don't talk about it. Mental health is this taboo topic. We keep it secret. We keep it hidden. That way of thinking about mental health isn't working. In fact, it's hurting people. Uh, This church, your church, Lutheran Church of Hope, In the last month, month and a half, we've been engaged in uh, real serious conversations with the Iowa Department of Public Health, looking at some alarming trends in this county, Polk County, particularly as it relates to uh, increasing suicide rates, and particularly among young people. Uh, It's tragic, and so we must, it is imperative, that we figure out new ways to think about and to talk about mental health. 
Uh, there's a verse that I've been pointing us to quite a bit over the last year uh, in the sermons that I preach. I'm going to continue to point us to this verse because I think it's a helpful reminder. This is what God is up to in our lives as we're growing as disciples, as we're growing as followers of Jesus Christ, maturing in our faith. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So the wisdom of Scripture change, transformation, new life. It's possible and it comes to us, one of the primary ways it comes to us is by changing the way we think. We see it in this verse, but this isn't the only place we see this idea. We actually see it cover to cover in the scriptures. Think of Jesus. Uh, What's the great commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He says that in the Gospels, but he's quoting Deuteronomy. This is a cover-to-cover idea, loving God with our mind. But what in the world does that even mean? How do you do that? How do you love God with your mind? Apostle Paul gives us some real practical, uh, step-by-step ways to love God with our mind in Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul writes, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I don't know about you, this is real difficult for me. To fix my thoughts and to think about the kinds of things that Paul lists in in this verse, that's a real challenge for me. What comes easy for me is fixing my thoughts and thinking about pretty much the opposite of these sorts of things. I saw my counselor on Friday morning. I've been going to this counselor since 2013. I started going to this counselor in 2013. I knew in the fall of 13 we were going to have a giving campaign to raise a couple of million dollars to uh, build this facility, and I was a little overwhelmed by that prospect. That felt a little stressful to me. I'd never raised millions of dollars before. So I thought, I'm so healthy, I'll get ahead of the game. And several months before the giving campaign, I'll start seeing a counselor, and I'll have a plan for managing the stress of that uh, once we finally get to the fall. Well, just a couple of sessions in uh, meeting with that counselor, it became pretty apparent there's some other things it would be good for me to be talking to a counselor about. And so part of the therapy process with this particular counselor, uh, she does a therapy called EMDR. And EMDR was developed for Vietnam veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And the way EMDR works uh, with my counselor and me, uh, we, we do this work to try to get to a place where we can uh, uncover something that they call a negative cognition. Negative cognition, just a fancy intellectual and academic way of saying, what is the lie that you believe to be true about yourself? A negative cognition, a a destructive thought pattern that has been ingrained in your mind over the decades. And so when you uncover and you figure out what's, what's that negative cognition, then the therapeutic process, the counseling process is to, okay, how can we retrain the brain? How can we grow some new neuropathways so that instead of instinctually when somebody says something or something happens or uh, there's a circumstance in my life that my, my brain is activated in a way that just goes to, say, confirm the negative cognition, how do we come up with a positive cognition, a way of thinking about things that is actually true. So for me, this, the counseling process has been a way of how do I learn to do what Paul is writing about here? 
How do I learn to fix my thoughts, not on a negative cognition, but on what is true? Uh, there's another verse that I came across uh, sometime in the last two years, kind of in the middle of a, the pandemic. It's from uh, Isaiah. And when I read it, I thought, oh, I needed to hear that, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Uh, the Lord has given me a strong warning, Isaiah says, not to think like everyone else does. In, in other words, there's a way of thinking that is good and helpful to our lives, and there's a way of thinking that doesn't help us out very much at all. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. So the last couple of years, you start talking about conspiracy theories, and we go to like three different places, right? Conspiracy theories around viruses and vaccinations and politics. I don't want you to think about those kinds of conspiracy theories. I'm talking about our, our personal beliefs. What do we believe to be true about ourselves? The devil in Scripture is referred to as the accuser, and what the devil does is gets us to believe that lies are the truth. I think you could say a negative cognition is a conspiracy theory. And the more we allow our minds to stay fixated on that kind of negative thinking, that kind of conspiracy theory, personal conspiracy theory about who we are, it is not good for our mental health. And our faith actually has a lot to say about this. Here's the way the Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8. It's kind of long, but I think it's important for us to read through this whole thing together. So let's read this out loud. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And and let's stop here. Let's pause just for a second. Because I'm guessing there's at least one person in the room You read through these two verses, and the conclusion you come to is, oh, okay, this is what the Bible is saying. That that when there's something wrong in my head, when I'm not thinking the way I'm supposed to be thinking, when my brain's not working the way it's supposed to be working, when I've got some kind of a mental health issue, it's just because I'm a sinner. And if I would just stop sinning, then my mental health issues would go away. That is not a faithful interpretation of what Paul is saying here. Paul's starting to make this distinction. He talks about it quite a bit in the New Testament in his letters uh, between the sinful nature and life in the spirit. I want to invite you to come back next week because we're going to dig into that distinction even more. Why is that important? Why does that uh, impact how we think and how we live our lives and what we believe to be true about God and about ourselves? We'll dig into that uh, more next week. It's super important to taking care of you. The reason I wanted to talk about it today is these two ideas that Paul talks about. This, What is it that dominates our thoughts? What is it that controls our thoughts, controls our mind? And, and do you ever find yourself in a place where you feel like you have lost control of your thoughts? Th- that clip uh, from the West Wing that we just watched, President Bartlett is seeing a, a counselor because he cannot sleep at night. Day after day, night after night, he, can't, he lays down in bed and he can't fall asleep because his mind just is activated. As soon as he lays down, his mind's just going crazy everywhere. And so finally he says, I should maybe talk to someone about this. 
And the counselor Stanley's asking him questions and making statements, trying to help the president think about why is the president thinking the way he's thinking? And you uh, hear that the counselor has some ideas about that. Might be related to an abusive father. Might be related to this strategy for life that uh, the president, that Jed Bartlett has chased after. If I can just become successful enough, if I can achieve enough, if I can get powerful enough, then maybe I can earn the love, the approval, the acceptance that I never got from my dad. I want to show you another clip from the West Wing. It's a different episode. This is in uh, season two. Uh, spoiler alert, but at the end of season one, there's an assassination attempt on President Bartlett. It was like 20 years ago. There's no spoiler. Um, and so primary storyline for season two is how does that event change things for the people who work in the, in the West Wing? A lot of them were injured, including Josh Lyman, the president's deputy chief of staff. And so... How did that event change things for Josh? Well, it's really clear he's suffering from post-traumatic stress, but he is completely unaware of it. Everybody else can see it. It, His fear, his anger from that event is leaking out in real unhealthy ways. And so finally his boss, a guy named Leo McGarry, orders Josh to go and see a counselor, and it's the same counselor, uh, Stanley. Take a look. Hi. Hi, Josh. Hi. I'm Stanley Keyword. This is Kate Petras. Jocelyn. Hi. Do I call you doctor? Sorry? Is it doctor Keyword? Oh, whatever you want. You can call me Stanley if you want. And doctor, uh, I'm sorry. Trask, but it's not doctor. I'm not a psychologist. Katha is uh, training as a traumatologist. I was wondering why there are two of them. Katha's training. You don't mind, do you? No. What happened to your hand? I, uh, I cut it, putting down a glass. It broke? Yeah. The glass broke? Yeah. Well, um, let me tell you a little about who we are. Sure. We're from ATVA. Yeah. That's the American Trauma Victims Association. Yeah. We're commonly called in by the government to work with trauma victims. I'll give you some examples. The uh, pipe bomb at Lancaster Middle School, we worked with the parents and the kids. Tulsa, Hurricane Beth, the Chatham Fire, the Iowa Tornadoes, the FBI raid in Rock Creek. So you are familiar with us? Dr. Keyworth, I'm the Deputy White House Chief of Staff. I oversee 1,100 White House employees. I answer directly to Leo McGarry and the President of the United States. Do you think you're talking to the paper boy? No. In your wildest dreams, did you imagine that I would walk into this room without knowing exactly who you are and what you do? No. Then why did you lie to me right off the bat? She's not here training. As a matter of fact, she is. I read briefing books every day on subjects considerably more complicated than ATVA. She is here training in trauma therapy. Yeah, but that's not why there are two of you. No. That's not the reason why there are two of you. No. I get up, go to the bathroom, go to my office, answer the phone, one of you watches me. Stanley, you got off to a bad start. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. Let's start again. You gonna lie to me this time? Nope. You gonna lie to me? Haven't yet. Really? Yeah. How did you cut your hand? 
You're not talking to the paper boy either, Josh. Oh, he's good. I've got some good news. We've hired Stanley to be the campus counselor for us, and I've already got a slot for each of you. No, um, when, I, when I do the work of putting together a message, one of the things I, I think about is who's going to be here? Um, who's going to be listening to this message? It's always fascinating to me. I wonder what it is that brings people to worship on any particular weekend. All sorts of reasons, I suppose. Some of you are here because you're Christians. Some of you are here and you don't know what to think. You're not sure what you believe. About Jesus, about the Bible, about church. How's all this work? And I love that we have people here who don't know what they believe. I do think there's something that we all have in common. It doesn't matter if you would say you're a believer or not. One of the things we all have in common, there's probably something, if we could be honest, there's something in each of our lives that's not going the way we want it to go. It could be a job situation, could be a relational reality, marriage, children, parents, an ex, in-laws. There's something in each of our lives that's not going the way we want it to go. We wish we could have a do-over. Something that makes us say, we didn't get off to a good start. Let's start again. And if that's you, I just want you to know you're in the right place. This is Lutheran Church of Hope. And our hope is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, who one of the final things he says at the end of uh, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus says, look, I'm making all things new. It's Jesus' way of saying, let's start again. If the way we've been thinking and talking about mental health isn't helpful, isn't helping, what would it look like for us to start again thinking about it and talking about it in a way that actually leads to life? And I think God's Word has all kinds of things uh, to tell us about this and all kinds of wisdom and direction and guidance to give us. For example, uh, if you start reading through the Psalms, one of the things you see in the Psalms, the the Psalm writers help us uh, connect with kind of our shared humanity our common experience as human beings. Here's an example. Uh, Psalm chapter 69, here's part of it. We'll put it up on the screen and let's read this out loud together. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. And the idea is that at some point in each of our lives, we find ourselves in this kind of place. Maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe some of you, as we read through a passage like this, in your mind you're going back to that situation or that season when you found yourself sinking into the mud. Maybe John Mayer was reading Psalm 69 when he wrote the lyrics to the song that uh, Chris sang for us, and uh, I guess I just feel like giving up today. All of us go through these kinds of places. We find ourselves um, confused filled with doubt, worry, uh, maybe anxiety and depression. We find ourselves in a hopeless place. I I wonder what you would think if I told you one of the primary places, for people in the scriptures, one of the primary places that people hear God call out to them, let's start again, is when people are in the bottom of a hole. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. He's one of 12 brothers, and he's his father's favorite. Of course, his brothers are angry and jealous because of this, so what do they do? They take Joseph and they throw him in a hole. 
and they wait for some slave traders to come by, they sell their brother into slavery. What do you suppose Joseph is fixing his mind on? What is he thinking about when he's in the bottom of that hole? Later on in his life, he is accused of a crime he did not commit, and he gets thrown in prison. What do you think he's thinking about? As day after day, in the hole, he's wondering, how did I get here? How do I get out of here? One of the Old Testament prophets is a guy named Jeremiah, and the message God gives to Jeremiah, proclaim to the people of Israel, your country is going to be destroyed. And of course, the people didn't particularly like to hear this message. So they took Jeremiah and they threw him in a hole. Uh, It's an old cistern, uh, like a well. And the Bible says at the bottom of that cistern was a thick layer of mud. And when they threw Jeremiah into the cistern, he sunk deep down into the mud. What about the people closest to Jesus? And they watch as he is arrested. They watch as he is sentenced to death. They watch as Jesus is nailed to a cross, as he breathes his last. And then his lifeless body is taken from the cross and thrown in a hole. And they roll a stone across the front. And they leave him for dead. I don't know what hole you find yourself in today. I don't know how you got in the hole. Maybe you're wondering, how do I get out of the hole? There's a woman named Brene Brown, a shame researcher at the University of Houston. She's also the author of uh, several best-selling books. Her latest is called Atlas of the Heart. It's probably her most vulnerable book where she talks about some of the the realities of some of the holes she has found herself in over the course uh, of her life. But in all of uh, the books that Brene Brown writes, it's kind of this consistent pattern that she talks about. We all fall at, at some point one way or another. We find ourselves in the hole and we wonder, how am I going to get out of the hole? I I think that's actually a helpful way of summarizing the biblical story. This is what we believe as Christians. We believe there is a God who created everything, a God who created people. And at the beginning, everything was perfect. Relationship with God was perfect. Relationship with one another was perfect. And then something happened that changed everything. The theological term for it is the fall. Everything changed when Adam and Eve fell into the hole of sin. Everything changes for Josh Lyman in uh, the West Wing when he goes through this assassination attempt. And, and the trauma from that experience changes his mind. It changes the way he thinks, and not in a good or healthy way. Take a look. I, I, I don't know what you heard about this meeting, but it wasn't even my meeting. OPEC will find a way to punish us. The Saudis have announced that they'd welcome the U.S. tapping into the SPR to calm the market. Even the Saudis think the price is too high. If the Saudis are that concerned, why don't they just make oil faster? Well, they're not that concerned. I didn't think so. It was Sam's meeting. He wanted the president to get together with his energy and economic advisors on the SPR. I was only there for a political perspective. What does that mean? There are only two things that ever stop the government from doing anything, money or politics. So you were there to say you thought it was a bad idea politically? Yeah. Did you think it was? Yeah. Did you say so? I'm paid to say so. What'd you say? I told him that... You're not going to understand it. (laughs) I'm a fairly well-educated guy. You need to understand the background. Did you raise your voice? To the president? Yeah. No. 
Okay. You don't raise your voice to the president. Okay. You certainly don't do it in the Oval Office. Okay. There's always lively discussion, and the president's informal with his staff, but there's a line you don't cross. Ever. You don't ever cross that line. All right, let's set up a meeting. Sir, can you I say... You sold me. We're setting up a meeting. Excellent. Can I say I think it's a bad idea? Why? It's not something Didion's gonna like. Well, I'm just talking about a meeting, but if I decide to do it, the president controls the SPR, not Congress. Yeah, but Didion controls the IMF vote. The two aren't related. Let's move on. The two are related. How? Through Didion. I'm saying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and forgiving the IMF debt are not related. Anything else? Of course they're related. Josh, if Didion doesn't like that we're tapping into the SPR, he's not going to let the IMF debt out of committee. We'll talk to him tonight. Mr. President. At the Christmas party, we'll take him aside. No, sir, you can't just take him aside. Josh, we can move on. We from can't him. move on from Josh. You. We can't just take him aside. If we tell him we need his help, then we give him visibility and power, and we put him in a position to say no and be a hero to his party. And who wouldn't want to do that for a living? Josh, Didion's a good guy. We can talk to him. You need to listen to me. You have to listen to me. I can't help you unless you listen to me. You can't send Christmas cards to everyone. You can't do it. Forget the SPR. Let's get the IMF loans like we said we were going to. Listen to what I have to say about Didion, and please listen to me. All right, let's move on. Josh, go right in my office, would you? Suppose if it's just a meeting. Right in my office, would you? Okay. Don't raise your voice to the president. If you do, you could lose your job. And part of what we see happening at the end of that clip is Josh is starting to be filled with fear. Fear of punishment for his bad behavior. Same thing's going on at the beginning of the biblical account. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, and they start to be filled with fear that they're about to be punished for their bad behavior. What if, what if instead of thinking primarily of God's actions in Genesis 3 as punishment, what if we could start to think of it primarily as God saying, you know, we didn't get off to a good start here. Let's start again. A lot of people, when they read through the first three chapters of the Bible, they just put it aside and say, I'm done. Because they read about a God who is so upset at a couple of people who eat the wrong fruit that God says, now everybody's going to die. And we're like, really? That seems like an overreaction. And if that's who God is, then we start to think a certain way about God. God's angry. God's vengeful. God loves to punish people. What God actually does, God created us so God could set traps for us. And God loves when we fall into those traps because that's when God gets to punish us. A lot of people, the way they think about God is kind of summed in this phrase. God wants to put us in our place. I would like to suggest to you to maybe start thinking differently about who God is. That this isn't the best way. This isn't the starting place for thinking about and understanding who God is. If we want to think the right thing about God, we have to look at Jesus. We have to look at Jesus if we want to think the right way about who God is. Now, some of the New Testament writers, they use this idea that a Jesus is the second Adam. 
First Adam came along, we read about him in Genesis, and Adam kind of messes everything up. Jesus, the second Adam, is God's way of starting again, and this time we're going to get it right. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. In, in other words, what is God's response when human beings fall into the hole of sin? It's not so much about anger and punishment and condemnation. It's about the incarnation. God becomes one of us. Why? Writer of Hebrews goes on. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. We refer to Jesus' life often as the greatest story ever told. And what makes Jesus the greatest story ever told is because in Jesus we see a God who loves life so much, who loves us so much, that God's willing to do whatever it takes to conquer sin, to conquer death, so that you and I can have the best kind of life on this earth and life that never ends after our earthly death. Verse 15, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. If the primary way that you think about God is God wants to put us in our place, you couldn't be further from the truth. This is the good news. This is the gospel truth of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to put us in our place. Jesus came to put himself in our place. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What might change about your faith if you could start to believe this is the truth about God? Jesus came to put himself in our, our place. We're talking about empathy here. In Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong, she comes to the conclusion that empathy is the power that gets us out of the hole that we find ourselves in. And this isn't just some random idea. She thought, maybe I could write a book and sell a lot of books with this idea. No, this is an idea that comes from intensive research that she has done over the years of people, their experience falling into holes and their experience rising out of holes. The key to getting out of the holes we find ourselves in is, is empathy. And so in the book, she spends a lot of time talking about the difference between empathy and sympathy. It turns out sympathy often is, we think we're being sympathetic and helpful, and it's not really helping at all. Uh, she uses the phrase, at least, to help us understand the way a lot of us uh, try to sympathize with people. If someone comes to us, they have an issue, they have a problem, there's something going on, and we want to fix it. We want to make it better. But often the problem is we want to make it better for us because we're uncomfortable hearing other people talk about their pain. And so we start looking for the silver lining. We say, oh, you lost your job. At least your spouse still has a job. You had a miscarriage. At least now you know you can get pregnant. Marriage is hard. At least you're married. And when we start doing this, when we start looking for the silver lining all the time, it doesn't actually help. It leads to shame because now people are like, why can't I look at the silver lining? They're looking at the silver lining. Why can't I? Why do I feel so bad if there's, it's not as bad as I think it is? And it leads to disconnection because they feel completely alone in their pain, alienated in their pain. Empathy is very different. Empathy is about presence. Empathy is about moving to a place of connection. It's marked by the phrase, me too. So when people are sharing, here's my challenge, here's my issue, here's my hurt and pain, here's what's going on, empathy enters into the story. This is what Jesus does. There's a problem in this world. What's God going to do? Enter the story. Jesus enters our pain, Jesus enters our hurt, 
And when God enters our story, things start to change for the better. Hebrews 2 verse 18 says this, Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we're being tested. When God enters our story, things start to change for the better. And when you enter into someone's story empathetically, things can start to change for the better. When you allow someone to enter your story, when you allow God to enter your story, a close friend, a trained professional, a loving parent, things can start to change for the better because you recognize I'm not alone in this issue. I'm not alone in my pain. And, and that presence starts to give us the hope that things really can get better. One more clip from the West Wing. Josh doesn't think he needs any help. He spends the whole day trying to convince Stanley, which is really trying to convince himself that everything's fine. But over the course of this conversation, uh, Josh starts to get honest about the hole he is in and about his need for help. Take a look. Okay, then. Okay, then? That's that. I'm cured? Yeah, Josh. You're cured. No problem. Stanley. I'm going to recommend a therapist you'll like. I like you. You're too easy a case for me. I broke a window. Yeah, stop doing that. I want to commend you on not hurting anybody else and not hurting yourself too badly. But nevertheless, stop doing that. And that'll do the trick? Yep. I, I, I'm getting shortchanged here. Merry Christmas, Josh. We're done. I'll call your office after the holidays and give you a number. It was nice meeting you. Hang on. What happens if tomorrow some pilot with my birthday decides to kill himself? No, that wasn't what started it. What started it? You were already cooking for a few hours before the pilot. I was? Usually with a gunshot victim, it's uh, a car backfiring or a twig snapping, but that's not what it was with you. What was it? Okay, Phil? The music. The brass quintet. Why would the music have started? Well, I know it's going to sound like I'm telling you that two plus two equals a bushel of potatoes, but at this moment, in your head, music is the same thing as... As sirens. Yeah. So that's going to be my reaction every time I hear music? No. Why not? Because we get better. All the same, I, I need some more therapy. Oh, you're going to get some. I mean now. Merry Christmas, Josh. You can order pizza. <laughs> Have a good night. Stanley, I haven't told you my dreams yet. Fax them over to me. Merry Christmas. How'd it go? Did you wait around for me? How'd it go? He thinks I may have an eating disorder. 
Josh. And uh, fear of rectangles. That's not weird, is it? I didn't cut my hand on a glass. I broke a window in my apartment. This guy's walking down the street when he falls in the hall. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey, you can yell me out. The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hall, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Long as I got a job, you got a job, you understand? No anger, no condemnation, no punishment, just empathy and love. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. We want this church to be a safe place for you to bring whatever stuff you need to bring, including mental health stuff. And you can bring it to a God who did not come to condemn you, but to save you, to heal you, to help you. Uh, God does this, and so that's the starting place. Like, do we really trust in God's love? That God's perfect love can cast out whatever it is in our life that's filling us with fear? But also we understand that sometimes the primary way God speaks to us is through other people, through ministries of a church. We have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery that meets Tuesday nights at 6.30. A lot of people have found it to be a very helpful place to get honest about the holes we are in and to start working to rise out of those holes. It's Tuesdays here at Hope Ankeny and at Hope West Des Moines. It's on uh, Thursday nights. I talked about uh, seeing a counselor. I think everybody should see a counselor. Even if you think you're just fine, counselors will give you tools that you put in your life toolbox, just help you get through this thing. It's really difficult. I'm hearing from a lot of people who are trying to get in to see a counselor and everybody's booked because more and more people, thank goodness, are seeking the help that they need. So while you wait, uh, don't get discouraged. Be persistent. And if the first or second or fifth or tenth try, you're not able to get in, keep looking. And in the meantime, Google... Um, best podcasts on mental health for 2021 and you will get an overwhelming list of podcasts that you could start listening to. Just listen to some of them and see which ones you find helpful. There's all sorts of, of resources available to us. On your way out of worship today, I'd encourage you to walk down toward our new location for Cafe Hope, out the doors and to the right. You'll go by the Connect, Grow, Serve counter and we have a ton of resources available for you there. Uh, some of the resources are counselors, a uh, list of counselors that uh, we recommend here at Hope. The counselor that I go to is not on that list. They're, just because they're uh, on that list doesn't mean they're the only ones available. So uh, do some of that work. We've got resources from uh, an organization called Your Life Iowa. Uh, this is part of the Iowa Department of Public Health. We have faithful people on our church who work for the government trying to help people with these kinds of issues. There's phone numbers that you can call uh, to get help in, in, the, in an instant. I don't know uh, what the help might be that you need, but I want you to know help is available. We've got handouts over there. Uh, how do parents talk to children about mental health? And they just kind of walk you through a step-by-step -step guide uh, for doing this. Um, I think the last thing I would want to say about this is what we heard in that last clip. 
this, this thing that causes Josh to lose control of his thoughts is when he hears music. It just activates something in his mind because of his trauma. And so he's worried that every time he hears music for the rest of his life, it's going to uh, do that. And Stanley says, no, it gets better. It gets better. This is Lutheran Church of Hope. There is hope. It gets better. Help is on the way, and it starts with the love of God. So let's stand together. We're going to sing about God's love, and I want to invite prayer partners to come forward, uh, too. If you would like to pray with someone, we don't need to know the specifics, the details of the hole you're in, but sometimes just having someone pray for you to trust God's love starts to make the difference to get through this day.